to this morning. Studying the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings. If you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. And if you just wave to them and get their attention, they'll be happy to get a Bible into your hands this morning. And always best to not only hear the Word of God, but follow along with your own eyes. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home and make this Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Hebrews chapter 2. A single verse, verse 1. Holy Spirit declares to the author of the book of Hebrews, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for all of your word. Thank you for every single thing that it does in our lives, in our walking, in our doing, in our thinking, in our seeing, in our hearing, Lord. We thank you that every single verse of this book is intended to fine-tune us or (laughs) renovate our lives in some kind of way. And Lord, we love that fact and we ask that Your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us personally this morning from this single verse and that you would make a very good friend of this verse to each one of us. And we ask that of you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Hebrews uh, follows a particular and a repeated pattern from one end of the book to the other. And the writer, first of all, lays down a doctrine or a teaching, and then he follows it with an exhortation or an encouragement regarding how that doctrine or that teaching ought to practically impact our lives as Christians. And I think that that's a great so often a great misunderstanding related to the book of Hebrews. It is just this unbelievably theologically deep book, and it absolutely is. Beautiful picture of the work and the ministry of Jesus. But always in the mind of the author is this idea of this needs to translate practically into our lives. There's a reason behind everything that he says. And in chapter 1, the writer has laid down the doctrine for this particular exhortation of chapter 2, verse 1. He's laid down the doctrine in verse 1 of chapter 1 when he declared, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And so that is the doctrine that he's given. And then he gives the first exhortation of the book in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. And this morning I want to uh, take a special note of that word drift because I want to make that the focus of our study this morning. And as we as Christians in this world, as we... Uh, look at this subject of drifting. We're addressing one of the dangers that we face as Christians in this world, and it is the danger 
of drifting. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who have begun to drift. And there's only one thing uh, worse than drifting as a Christian, and that is to be drifting in oblivious to it. I don't even realize that it's happening to me. And these Christians are drifting, and they have no idea that they are drifting, and they have no idea that if they don't become aware of the fact that they're drifting, that ultimately they're going to drift into a great uh, danger that they'll be exposed to. Now, in verse 1, the words drift, the word drift, and then the phrase giving heed in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, those words are in the Greek They're nautical terms. That is, they're terms that have to do with boating. And so this verse would have immediately produced a picture in the mind of the original readers of this letter. They would have understood exactly what the writer was saying. Sometimes uh, they would have understood what needs to be explained to us a little bit when we live an hour and a half drive from uh, the Pacific Ocean, or we, we don't live in a place where we live right on the water, or we're exposed all of our life to boats and, and uh, the boating experience. The picture that these words paint is that of a ship that is drifting past its harbor. It's drifting past its place of safety. And as a result of that, it is drifting toward destruction. And the ship is in that condition because the captain of the ship isn't paying attention to what he ought to be paying attention to, and he's, and he's not paying attention to his course. And so the harbor or the place of safety that the original readers uh, were in danger of drifting away from was the truth, chapter 1, verse 1, and the truth of God's Word, and most specifically, the truth about Jesus. And the interesting thing is, is that these were truths that the writer says that these uh, Christians were very, very familiar with. They were truths that they had heard over and over again in their Christian life. So they're not drifting out of ignorance. They're not drifting because they don't, uh, because of something that they don't know and they will learn later. They are drifting due to a neglect of the things that they already knew. And the reason that they were in danger of drifting from their place of spiritual safety is because they were allowing some current, dangerous current, to take them off course. I think it's very important to realize that there are currents in the physical world around us, but not just physical currents. We're aware of the physical currents. Um, I remember one time, well, I won't go into that story, but there are physical currents. All you have to do is get into the ocean in a boat and then watch how uh, whoever is the captain of that ship works mightily to navigate the unseen currents in that body of water. Any of us who have ever stepped into a river, we realize Wow, this, even when it looks kind of placid on the surface, that there is a flow to this river and, and there are currents in that river. But what is true 
of physical bodies of water is also true spiritually in this world. And it's very important that we understand that. There is a spiritual current that occurs in this world, and it's very strong, and it can be very dangerous. And the Apostle Paul wrote of it in his letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, and he said, And you, he, that is Jesus, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then here it is. In which you once walked according to the course or the current of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, speaking of the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In other words, before we became Christians, we just kind of went with the flow of whatever it was that was going on in the world all around us. Sometimes we thought we were, you know, magnificently uh, radical in our age or in our thinking, and that we come to realize we were just a part of the same old current everybody else was being drawn to. We just uh, wore different clothes than everyone else was wearing. Or we listened to a little bit of different music than other people were listening to. And so before we come to know Christ, we are going with the flow of the current of the world that is all around us. And that flow, that current, Paul tells us, has its origin in the devil. And that flow is intended, or that current of the world is intended by the devil to do a, a couple of simple things in people's lives. And the first thing that it, the current of the world, the devil intends to do with it is to keep people from coming into a meaningful contact with God. That's his desire. Is his current, you look at the currents of the world and you say, well, there's this fad, there's this music, there's this philosophy, there's this religious system, there's this, 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 and this. And you look at all of it and you say, there's tremendous diversity as you would look at all of it. But you look all the way down at its core, what unites all of it so that we can recognize this is a current of the world that the devil is behind is that any current that sweeps a person or draws a person further and further away from God is one of those spiritual currents in the world that is dangerous. And the second thing that the devil tries to do with the currents that he's behind is then to attempt to pull those who do come into a meaningful contact with God and and become born again to then attempt to pull them away from God once they do come to know God. And that's Satan's ultimate aim. His, he doesn't get up and, and, and his whole thing is he looks at your life and my life and say, I want to um, addict him to covetousness uh, supremely or to pornography or to lying or to stealing or to selfism or selfishness. That's not what he says. This is, this is the greatest goal or purpose of his in a human life. He will use those things to try and accomplish the one great thing that he endeavors to do in every human life, and that is to pull us away from God. That's his ultimate aim, to have as many people join him in judgment in the life to come as he can possibly draw into that judgment. Now, the spiritual currents that we face in the Christian life, they are as real and they are as powerful 
as anything a ship captain will ever face as it relates to the currents of the ocean. You have a ship uh, sea captain is always aware of the power of those currents. No sea captain would ever consider allowing just any old current to take control of his ship because that current could carry a ship to destruction. And in the same way, we must never allow the secular or the pagan or even the erroneous religious currents to take control of our lives lest they carry us to destruction. And because there is a strong spiritual current and moral flow to this world, then uh, and the intent of it is to pull us away from God, we can never afford to just put our Christian life in neutral and coast. For a Christian in this world, given the fact that we are endeavoring to draw closer to God and every current of this world is intended to pull people further away from God, it means that it will always require effort on our part to draw closer to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do that. But once a person, a Christian, takes and he pulls his oars into the little boat, or he says, I'm not willing to resist these currents any longer, or I just want to go with the flow, I want to relax, I don't want to fight against the currents of the world, and so I'm just going to uh, stop resisting the flow of this world, that person is then going to be swept away by the currents. It's like the old saying, any old dead fish can float downstream. But it takes a live fish to go against the stream. And that's what God has called us to do. We go against a stream in this world. And we do it because the, the stream of this world is leading people or pulling people into destruction. And so we can never ever afford as Christians to just shift spiritually into neutral and to begin to uh, coast. And it's good for us to realize that as Christians, that it takes real effort. I'm not talking about striving in our flesh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes real effort in this Christian life to continue to grow in it and not to be swept away by all of the ungodliness and the strong currents of it in the world around us. Now, one of the dangers concerning drifting is that it happens so subtly. And maybe you've had this experience as you've gone to a beach somewhere at the ocean and you put your little chair out on that crowded beach and before you get into the water you spot your uh, lifeguard tower and then there is your chair and there is your blue towel that you put on your chair and there are the six or eight people on either side of where you've got your little three square feet of space on that beach and you're looking at who's around you, and you're getting your your landmarks so that you can know, as you look from the water, you can look and, and know where it is that you got uh, into the water. And so you get your bearings, and you establish those uh, landmarks in your mind. You get into the water with your little water wings, or you um, a little floaty, or sometimes just floating on your own, and, uh, and, and you 
get into that water, and the water's very, very nice, has a little bounce to it. It's like getting a little massage free from God. So there you are, and, it, and, and you're just bouncing on the water, and, and it's really that whole motion is so conducive to sleep and relaxation. Pretty soon you close your eyes, you let yourself drift for a while, and when you're in that kind of a place, then pretty soon all sense of time you know, goes out the window, and then you open up your eyes and you look toward the beach, can't recognize a single thing there. You say, where'd the lifeguard tower go? Where'd my little chair with my little blue towel go? Where did that gigantic human being that was one, three people to the right of me and the other one with the screaming kids over here to the left of me and all, and we're looking for all of these landmarks in order to find our spot and all of them are gone. Everything's gone. The people are gone. The lifeguard station is gone. And if you've ever been in that place, and I have been in that place, you know there's a panic that grips you because you know you've drifted, but you don't know how far you've drifted. And you don't know if you have drifted into some kind of danger. And so now you, you look up, you can't spot anything familiar, the panic grips you, and, and now you want to know how far have I gone, how far have I drifted from safety, begin to scan the beach, and, and we're in a panic until we can spot maybe a mile down the beach, we see that lifeguard station that we set in on. And also, oh, at least I know how far I've drifted from where I set in. And we begin to make our way back toward that lifeguard station where we set into the water and we're thinking to ourselves, I can't believe I could drift that far that fast and not know it. And then we realize that though the water didn't seem like it was moving, it was moving. Even though we couldn't see the current, the current was working and taking us from uh, a place of safety, and it can take us from a place of safety very, very quickly. And spiritual drifting can lead toward destruction as well. Remember my twin brother and I, on our uh, final night of high school, we didn't attend our uh, graduation ceremony because we caught a flight to Miami. And my older sister, by 12 years, she lived in Miami, and uh, so we were going there to spend the summer with her. And so we headed over there, and the first thing we wanted to do was go to the beaches of Miami. Here we are, high school boys. Now, you, uh, boy, I, I've been under umbrellas and all kinds, wearing hats as big as sombreros, you know, to stay out of the sun. But you're younger, and it's a great time in life. God bless you if you're still there. So we wanted to head out into the beaches and explore all of this, everything. And so we got out there, and my sister, she dutifully explained to us the danger of the sun closer to the equator, given the fact that we are half Scottish and half Irish, really albinos, candidly, <laughs> certainly on Miami Beach. So we were just slathered in this uh, lotion and everything, and, and, and we headed into the water thinking that the greatest danger we were going to run into that day was the threat of a severe sunburn or some kind of a, of a sunstroke. And so we got out into the water, and we had no fear of the water at all. 
After all, we're just out of high school, a little more cocky than we had a right to be. And uh, what's all this caution everybody's talking about related to the water? We began horse playing and began swimming far off of, of the shore. And without noticing, we began to drift away from the area of the beach that we had set uh, into. And then in one very short instant, just a handful of seconds, we went from something where we were messing around in the water way, way out, and we slipped into a current that was very, very strong and began to pull us with, with great power out uh, into the ocean. And I mean things on the beach were becoming smaller uh, by the handful of seconds. It was a strong current. And both of us immediately panicked in that because we realized this is something that we'd never been exposed to. Nobody had ever told us. We'd never been around water that much, raised in Napa. And this was something that was foreign to us. And all we knew is that this was dangerous. And so we began to try to swim against that current with all of our might. And we're looking at one another and we're in a panic on things. And as try as we might to swim against that current, we could not defeat that current and get any closer uh, to the shore. And so now we're all panicked. Fatigue starts to set in. We looked at one another, thought we're going to die out there in the ocean. Nothing we could do could get the attention of the lifeguards in those towers. Now, I I have never watched Baywatch. It it doesn't make me a better person than you if you have. No, it does. It does make me a better person than you if, if you have. But we're just thinking, what in the world are those people doing out there if they can't see two people who are being swept out into the ocean? So we're panicking, we're screaming, we're giving every evidence we can give in order to let them know that we're in trouble. And so we had uh, kept trying to fight against it, and we decided there's no way we can make a beeline toward the shore. What we need to do is just begin to swim parallel to the shore toward where we set in, into the water. And as quickly as we entered into what we came to know as a riptide, we swam out of it. Just within a few meters, it was stopped. And a riptide is, on the East Coast is just simply the water coming into the shore, and there's a sandbar somewhere, and there's so much water coming in that it begins to force itself out along a sandbar under the water, and we had slipped over into that. Riptides on the, on the West Coast of the United States, they're kind of standard. They're always in the same place because we've got more rock and that kind of thing. But on the East Coast, they can change depending on how the ocean has developed a sandbar at a given particular point in time. And we didn't realize that the very thing that you do related to a riptide is to swim sideways in order to escape it. And so we just kind of accidentally, I view it as God's providence, accidentally kind of moved to the side and we escaped Uh, the riptide, and we were able to slowly make our way back to the beach. And I really learned an important lesson about the dangers of drifting on that day, I'll tell you, and that drifting can begin looking innocent enough, 
but in an instant we can be pulled into, and it happens so quickly. One thing, it looks like we've got this all under control, and then in the next instant we have drifted so far that now we've drifted into something that is seriously uh, dangerous. The writer of the book of Hebrews, unlike our uh, Miami Beach lifeguards, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews is not asleep on the job spiritually. And he sees what's happening to these Christians. They're drifting. And so he warns them of the danger that they're headed toward. Now, most of us as Christians, we don't plunge into a spiritual disaster instantaneously. We just, we slowly drift there. Uh, the crisis of a divorce in, in a Christian home, that doesn't happen in a day. That, that isn't a crisis that arises in 48 hours. That happens because at least one of two people has spent a long time drifting. And then finally, one day, it drifts into very, very serious and undeniably serious business. In terms of addiction to pornography or drugs or alcohol for a Christian, that isn't something that somebody says, oh, I think I want to wake up this morning as a Christian, reintroduce these things back into my life and become addicted to them again. It happens when someone begins to drift and then gets pulled into those things once again. Or a business collapse that collapses because of a lack of personal integrity or the disqualification for Christian service or backsliding. It rarely happens in an instant. It's something that we spend a long time drifting toward and then suddenly we are caught up in that current that is consuming the world. And so most often we can look back and realize that we'd allowed ourselves to drift toward this disaster for a very long period of time. We had begun to neglect biblical truths that we knew very, very well. And that's what he's warning them of here. They knew, they knew everything they needed to know not to end up where they were ending up. Again, it wasn't a case of ignorance. It's very rare that we drift into danger, spiritual danger, out of ignorance. Most often we know what we need to know, but we begin then to neglect those biblical truths. What are some of the signs that I'm drifting? The first sign is that I'm no longer making forward progress in my spiritual growth as a Christian. If I, if I am the same person spiritually in terms of Christ-likeness that I was six years ago, something's very wrong. I say that lovingly, but I, I say it f- firmly and, and hopefully unmistakably. Something is very wrong there. If I am the same person, the same Christian that I was six months ago, then there's something very, very wrong in that situation and in my relationship with the Lord. There should always be progress, forward movement in this Christian life. If Jesus is the standard for 
how we live and how we act and how we process and how we talk and our priorities and all of these things, and he is, then there's always going to be room for growth in our lives as Christians. And there should always be growth, even though it means going against the streams of the world. It's always a sign that someone has begun to drift when they cease to grow spiritually in Christ-likeness. Sometimes a person can rationalize it by saying, well, this isn't so bad. The preachers warn against this kind of thing all the time. It's called backsliding, by the way. And I seem to be a special case in human history. I'm able to navigate this uh, pretty well. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not getting into too serious of trouble. And it's a self-deception because the day will come and it happens as fast as my brother and I went into that riptide. One day it looks like you're in control of the current that you're in away from God and the next moment you look and that thing is sweeping you uncontrollably away. And so this danger and so many Christians simply stop growing somewhere in the course of their Christian life and then consider that to be Acceptable, And then when enough people do that, then it begins to be considered the norm related to Christianity, and then we've got all kinds of problems. There should always be growth in our Christian life, always moving forward in Christ-likeness. The moment we stop doing that, There is a shipwreck that is coming, if not in this life, the one to come, where I won't hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, which is the worst shipwreck of all. Another sign of drifting is when my life moves from being uh, centered on other people to becoming more and more self-centered. And, of course, this is the great thing that's nurtured within the culture, that I'm the most important person. If not, uh, if everybody else doesn't understand that I'm the most important person in the world, then at least I should understand that. How many books and materials are written with that kind of idea? So we live in a culture that's consumed with selfism. We used to call it selfishness, but you can't do that anymore, I guess. You know, all the terminology is so important. So there's the selfishness and the self-absorption where I see myself as above everyone else and then pretty soon I become even more important uh, than God in my own life. And this is revealed when I start to retreat from Christian service. God's calling upon my life. And more and more my life becomes self-consumed. I begin to look at my life ultimately as a Christian and every single bit of discretionary time is going toward me rather than the kingdom of God, loving God first with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, which includes this call on my life, and then loving my neighbor as myself. And if a person looks and says, all of that's crowded out or severely crowded out of my life, then that means... I've pulled over into out of the current or the flow of the Spirit and the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, and I've gotten into the current of the world and the whole seduction of, of selfishness. 
and it is drifting. I'm now under the pull of another stream in life. Additionally, another sign that I'm drifting is when I begin to reintroduce things back into my life that God had once removed from my life for the sake of his call upon my life. And he looks at each one of us and says, I've got a plan for your life, and this is what I want to do with it. And I've got a calling on your life. That calling is going to be a part of expanding my kingdom in this world. And it's going to mean that this goes and this goes and this goes and this goes. And it doesn't just have to do with necessarily with sins, but obviously it applies to that. But sometimes the Lord can come in and say to us, related to what I am calling you to do, I'm going to move right into some of your liberties. Things that Christians can do and have a liberty to do, but I'm not going to give you a liberty to engage in that for the sake of what I'm calling you to do. And we give great sobriety to that as a new Christian. God, anything you want to remove from my life, anything that is important to you, I'll jettison in it in a second. And we do it. We just throw all of that stuff overboard and don't hesitate to do it. And then a little bit later, we start to walk with the Lord. And usually it's like these Hebrew believers. It's after long years, sometimes decades. We start to think we're missing out and we start to pull those things back into our lives and back into our lives and back into our lives. And it can reach the kind of a place where a person can sit in a room like this today and after long years of having begun so well as a Christian to look and say, I know I'm on my way to heaven, but my life in terms of practically speaking or the impact that it's making for the kingdom of God, my life is making no greater impact than my unsaved neighbors that live on either side of me. And it's an indication that we've drifted. So you get in a rowboat and you're making your way upstream against something or a kayak or a canoe or something and you're going against the current. And and God says, I want you to keep moving forward in me. I want you to leave this behind. I want you to leave this behind. Now I want you to leave this behind and this. And it's all great. It all translates into the greatest life you can live. And you keep on moving, and so you pass that campground, and you pass this house that's on there, and then this cabin that's on your left, and you keep making your way upstream, and all that stuff's in your rearview mirror. And further upstream, you can pull those oars in and just go with that current, and then pretty soon you're seeing that campground, I'm seeing that cabin, I'm seeing that house, and all these things that I have moved past years before, all being reintroduced back into my life, that it means I am now caught in another stream in life that's pulling me away from God and into uh, something entirely different related to my life and, and into great danger. So the importance of, uh, of not allowing those things to be reintroduced back into our Lives, old habits, old directions, old influences. And then the greatest sign that I'm drifting is that I've lost a sense of awe and reverence for the Word of God. And that's what he speaks about here for them. The great reason that they were drifting is they had ceased to give the more earnest heed to the things which they had heard, referring to the Word of God. 
And a, a neglect of the Scriptures is always a sign of big trouble in the life of a Christian. And sometimes we can think, you know, well, this is okay. This is what, this is what preachers say. This is what pastors say. They're always getting us on the Word of God and daily time in the Word of God and being in the Bible studies and growing in the Word of God. I mean, this is what they get paid to do. And then pretty soon it's just kind of like water off the back of a duck. We just don't, we don't listen to it. But there's a reason for the, the Word of God having that kind of a place within our lives. And when it ceases, that neglecting of the Scriptures, it's a sign of big trouble. It was in their lives, it is in ours. Think about how many people. It always always begins the same way, almost always the same pattern. I start to drift away from that daily time of communicating with God and God communicating with me through his word. We say, yeah, I'm still going to church. I'm going Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I'm going to one of the midweek meetings of the home fellowship. I'm doing all right, though, and all that will meet my needs. And then pretty soon I cut one of those out. And then pretty soon I'm not coming to the Sunday night. And then pretty soon on Sunday morning, it's once or twice a month. And I convince myself that, again, that I'm some kind of a special Christian, that I can do this in defiance of God's Word in terms of what the Word of God is intended to do in our lives on a daily basis, and it will have a different outcome for me than it does for everyone else. And then pretty soon you hear, six months later, a year later, two years later, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? No, what? And then they tell the story. And it it can be a thousand different stories, but they're all the same story. Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Because of the abandoning of the Word of God because when I abandon the Word of God and the place that it should have in my life as an influence, the first thing or the next thing that's going to go is the sense of necessity in obeying that Word. And then I'm in another current and then I'm going to find myself in very serious trouble one day. And that's the single protection, the greatest protection against drifting, he says, is giving the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, the Word of God. And you notice that the author doesn't exhort them uh, regarding a failure on their part to know the Word of God. They knew the Word of God, and they knew it very, very well. He exhorted them for failing to heed it earnestly. The drifting Christian is someone who knows the Bible, but now they've become careless with it, careless in giving heed to it, careless in uh, being an attentive hearer of it. And it's possible to know a great deal about the Word of God and yet to have ceased to be an earnest hearer of the Word of God. And when it talks about that earnest hearing, the idea is to hold his mind toward the Word of God pays attention to, applies himself to, adheres to the Scriptures. And in contrast, the drifter is one who long ago stopped measuring his or her life by the Word of God. No longer longer is it used to test my actions or my attitudes 
or what I put before my eyes or what I allow into my ears or how I process life and view life, what it is that and how I conduct myself in life. And the earnest here, on the other hand, tests all of those things, not by the current of the world or even the current kind of condition of Christianity, but they continue to test all of those things by the Word of God. I think perhaps uh, the Lord this morning might uh, have awakened some of us to the fact that we're drifting in our Christian life. I don't say that he has, but perhaps he has. You say, how do I respond to this? I'm so busted. I'm so in that category. What in the world do I do in all of this? And the first thing is to do the same thing the captain of a ship does in response to the news that his ship is headed for the rocks, and that is to make the necessary corrections. So if the warning concerning drifting rings true to you today, that's step number one. And then the second thing that I need to do is to again remove those things that God cut out of my life long ago and that I've reintroduced. Say, why do I need to do that? Those things put you to sleep spiritually. And they keep you asleep spiritually. And they keep you in a current that is going to take you towards something that you're not going to want to be in the middle of when it happens. And to return to a place where all of these things that have been reintroduced in my life all of the time and the effort and and the consciousness that goes toward engaging in all of that and now redirect all of that back toward God and the things of God once again. And then third, I need to return to heeding the Word of God as the single great and authoritative voice in my life. Not just knowing it, but obeying it without saying, well, these are the, you know, the... the, big sins or these are the small sins or all this kind of developing like this custom Christian life or something that we think that we have the freedom uh, to do. But to look at our lives and to say, I want to not only know the Word of God, but I need to return to obeying it. Do you realize this is, again, one of the great self-deceptions that happens to us as Christians, especially the longer we walk with the Lord? We consider ourselves to be spiritual on the basis of how much we know. So we walk into a room like this, into a teaching or anywhere, and say, I know that, I know that, I know that. I've already heard that. I've heard that a hundred times. And we have the idea that I am spiritual on the basis of how much I know. When I'm not spiritual solely on the basis of what I know, but how much I know, and then that translates into obeying in my life. The obedience to the Word of God, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, provides us and our lives with what an anchor is to a ship, what a harbor is to a ship. Obedience to the Word of God puts us in a place of safety and security from drifting, and it also keeps us from being sucked into the very, very strong currents of this world 
that are designed to draw us away from God. It's not just obedience for obedience' sake, though that would be good enough if that's all there was. God never makes a commandment in order to just waste his breath. There's a reason behind it, and the reason is always protective as it relates to our lives. It's designed to keep us from being pulled into what is dangerous for us and God knows is dangerous. If you sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you have not yet put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and that's how you become a Christian. It's that simple. God has made it that simple. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus, that whosoever, that's you again, would believe or trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. And if you sit here this morning and you say, I want to take and put my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, then you will receive that forgiveness. God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit will come into your life and you will begin a personal relationship with God. The thing that you need to realize, if you're not yet a Christian, is that, and keep it as a word picture in your mind, there are spiritual and moral currents in this world. As sure as there are currents in a river and as sure as there are currents in the ocean, and they pull you some place. And it is only by giving your life to God and becoming a part of His family that you now are in a place of safety and protection from all of these other currents. Now you look and you say, uh, and we look around the world and, we, and you see how many things are being foisted upon us. Here's the next fad. Here's the next thing. Here's the next drug. Here's the next alcohol combination. Here's the next drug uh, uh, combination. Here's the next accessibility to this sin. Here's the next cool thing. This, And every time the world comes up with a new thing and, and everybody runs toward that thing and then you see this pile of victims just heaped up on the side of this particular current or this sin or man's wisdom, selfishness, all of it. And nobody stops and looks and says, what we ought to do is we ought to assess the wisdom of what's being foisted upon us in this world in the light of the kind of human being that that wisdom produces. This looks like it destroys everybody that gets on that path. And you all know paths in this world that every single person who gets on that path ends up destroyed in this life. You don't even have to talk about the life to come. And this is the way off of those paths so that you cease to be the devil's experiment, your own experiment, the experiment of the so-called wisdom of man, and now you can become God's workmanship. You can become what he makes a human being into. And there are going to be pastors and others up in front immediately after the service. And they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God. I say all of that to say this. There's hope. No matter what current you are in, no matter how strong it is, 
No matter how hard you have tried to get out of it and it continues to pull you and you're like me and my brother, you just look at each other and just say, we're going to die in this current. And I tell you this morning, there's hope for you. You can pull out of that riptide and swim sideways toward the Lord and he'll put you in a completely different flow in life. And he'll do it in an instant. Because he loves you, he'll love to do it. And you take advantage of the opportunity this morning. Let's stand together and we'll pray.